Hi, and welcome to the Property Mom podcast. I'm Dalapo. I'm a wife and mother of two wonderful kids who are now five and three. And I'm what you'd call a property entrepreneur. And if you're joining us for the first time, thanks so much for listening to this. And my hope is that you learn something new every time you listen. And you will, because I've juggled the past few years between raising a family, property investing, developing, refurbs, rent to rent, and educating. So my love for property does run really, really deep. So this podcast is for anyone looking to get into property, build a portfolio of owned or managed properties and build long-term wealth, either as a side business or if you want to eventually quit your job and run your own business full-time. You're definitely in the right place. Here you'll find discussions, ideas, strategies for UK property investing, and I'll be inviting guests as well to share their own experiences. And speaking of guests, we have an amazing guest today. So we have Nicole Bremner, who is a successful property developer. She started off as a mom, literally a mom taking care of her kids, looking for something else to do with her time. And boy, did she find something else to do. She's eventually grown a multi-million pound property business and with over 105 homes and commercial units across London. Um, She admits that she didn't build from zero, but her initial deposit to start out was really just to buy the one house and convert and from there she's done phenomenally well she selected a good gold mine area and also has leveraged her contact and joint ventures which she talks about in this uh, podcast so definitely listen to it by the way check out at the end where i have something special to share about our upcoming challenge Um, so do enjoy Hi, Nicole. So great to finally meet you. Uh, it's just amazing to have read your story and heard so much about, you know, your progress and all you've done in the past how many years? It's not even been that long, has it? Uh, 10 years. Yeah, a bit over 10 years now. Not bad. Not bad. So it's funny because I feel like you started very at a similar time to when I got into property. So I'm interested to know more about your story first of all to anyone who's uh, who doesn't know you i came across you based on the book that you'd written called um breaking it from stay-at-home mom to a hundred million pound portfolio and i was like wow who's this you know because first of all you really resonated with me because you know you're you, you're in property you're dominating in property and your mom and i just have sort of this sort of kindred spirit anyone who can really like build a good portfolio while still you know the challenges of raising a family yeah thank you first of all for having me on your podcast and it's interesting because that is the biggest challenge you can hear your children and my children in the background and as I said to you before we started recording I'm here in my bedroom uh, because it's the best wi-fi in the house because the children are on their xboxes and these are just the challenges that we face often as mothers and sometimes as fathers as well Uh, whoever the stay-at-home parent is uh, there are challenges there Uh, but also it's very rewarding. So for me, property, uh, it it wasn't an obvious choice. I didn't know much about it at all. I'd renovated a flat and uh, realized that it had made more money than I had. And then I thought, hey, maybe there's something in this property thing. And that's when I renovated a house and I just kept going and started doing another house and another one. And just to clarify the the multi-million pound portfolio, that's in GDV. And unfortunately, now with all the losses over the last um, 
few years since 2017, it's uh, it's certainly not worth as much as it was back in those wonderful days of 2016. So just to clarify, that's GDV and I didn't own all of it. Some of it was owned by other investors. So I just had a share of that. But um, yeah, it's it has been quite the ride. And I, I think that it does, it does allow people who are stay at home parents to have a, a rewarding career because there are not many barriers to entry. Yes, indeed. And so that's really where I've sort of come from with the Property Mom podcast and all of that is really trying to educate people on the fact that you don't have to um, start out in property with, you know, the huge deposit. Yeah, it's good and it'll help your, you know, it'll help you go faster, but you can actually get, and if you have a real keen desire, you can build a side business in property. Um, build a business that's sustainable and that will help you have the freedom you want with your family, right? So that's key, isn't it? The fact that you've been able to spend time with your family. I'm interested to know why did you decide property? How come, how did you end up in that? Because I imagine that from reading your book, you're a stay-at-home mom. How did you then make that leap into um, investing in property? So I had started my life or my career as a, uh, in, in finance, as an analyst, uh, developing large spreadsheets that seemed to be where I got stuck, uh, although I quite enjoyed it. So I did that, then decided that I wanted to own my own business. So I started an online fashion business and that was in 2005. And then uh, I ran that for a couple of years and my partner was transferred to New York. And then soon after that, I found out I was pregnant. Now, my fashion business was up and coming British designers. And it was very hard to do that from New York, uh, especially when I now couldn't travel because I had a young baby. So I went back into finance and worked to Goldman Sachs very briefly and then found out that I was pregnant with baby two. And uh, that's when the, the, the markets crashed in, in New York in 2008. And we came back to London in 2009. And it was at that point that I thought, what am I going to do? This having children thing is so much harder than I envisaged. And I wanted yeah, to do something. And I started looking at all the various options available to me. I had these financial qualifications. I also then went and studied nutrition and did a postgrad in, in nutrition uh, with a view to being a nutritionist or something. And then I realized that market was so saturated. It was very, very hard. I started food blogging, never got anywhere. I started doing knitting. I, I actually taught knitting classes in New York, which is quite funny because I could take my baby along with me. Um, so I tried so many different things. And it was when we renovated this flat, that I renovated this flat first and thought, okay, this has made more money than me. Maybe there's something in this then renovated our home and loved it. And I got along really well with the builder who did that. And so just, it was my partner at the time, my ex-husband who said to me, you've done a really good job of this. Why don't you look to do this professionally? We've made money on this property. Um, here's a pot of money that we made from the flat and let's do it again. What year was that? That was 2009, 2010. Okay. And then from 2009 to 2010, you started to get into property. Tell me about your first project. How was that? Yeah, so from 2009, I did a flat, but it was a flat that we'd owned that we'd lived in prior to moving to the US. So we, uh, when we came back, I just gave it a very basic cosmetic renovation and sold it. 
And that really gave me the pot of money to invest. And, and that was a significant amount. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. I've been very open to say that I did start with a very big pot. Uh, so that the goal was to look around for flats for around the half a million pound mark and or houses and start renovating those which back then you could buy a house in Hackney for half a million pounds you certainly can't now so I started looking and I realized that I was up against everyone it seemed that if I wanted to stand out I needed to move up to the next stage which is around the million pound mark so I found my very first professional renovation project was a former HMO which I didn't know was called an HMO I thought it was bedsits didn't know the word <laughs> HMO then and it had been owned by a bus driver who had 11 children and had bought each of the children a house in Hackney and he passed away and his house was then in probate for and empty for 18 months so once that came up on the market I purchased that and set about renovating that. I'm interested to know how did you find that property? That was through Foxton's. I ended up buying all my properties uh, via Foxton's. I, I ended up having a great relationship with them, and I so I would buy through them and I would sell them through them. And they would ring me whenever a property that they knew I'd like would come on the market. They'd say, "Hey, got one for you," and they knew that I'd buy it. <laughs> so yeah, we had a good relationship. Because it's interesting because I've always thought that if you were buying property, that going to agents, especially a higher end agent like Foxton's, that you wouldn't get the value there, that you should, you'd need to find like dealers and things like that. Like, you think that buyers and sellers, they've all got the same problem. Buyers want to sell for the highest price. Sellers want to buy for the lowest price and the agent just wants to get it done. So, uh, and also there are a lot of properties that don't necessarily come on the market and mm -hmm. the sellers are looking to sell them off market and because they don't want their neighbors to know or whatever the case may be. So by having a really good relationship with an agent and them knowing that you will do the deal, you save yeah. them a huge amount of work. So when they could ring me and say, we've got this property, it's on this road, we can pick you up this afternoon, we've arranged the viewing already, can you do it? And I'd say, yep, fine, I'll come and do it. They knew that I'd walk in and by that evening, be able to have run my numbers and, and know whether I would buy it or not. And that happened on numerous occasions. Okay. And then, not to take you off completely on what you were originally saying, but I'm interested to know the numbers. What, what do you look out for when you're looking at a deal? Do you have like uh, metrics or how do you kind of assess a deal is a good deal for you to move forward with it? There's a very simple rule of thumb that I discovered. So I, I am a numbers person. I, uh, that was my job, as I said, to build spreadsheets. So I really enjoy the, the numbers side of things. Where, where numbers go wrong is where you put the wrong numbers in and make the wrong assumptions, but numbers don't lie ultimately. So I really enjoyed the modeling side of, of uh, property where I'd model out the various scenarios. So a very, very basic rule of thumb for me is that if I could buy a property for a million, and sell it for double, so for two million, and make sure all my costs were 500, I would have a nice 500,000 pound uh, profit, um, gross pre-tax. So that was the rule of thumb, always buy, sell for double, and keep my costs to, to that. Um, and that, that worked really well for an, a number of times until the market started softening and the market wasn't growing as much, and then I couldn't do the same the same thing but yes if you can ever get to something like that then that's a really good rule of thumb 
algorithm. And I guess you had to get more creative because as the market starts getting more saturated, then you find yourself needing to... But um, so it sounds from what you say that you started off really in the investing side flipping. Is that, do you still um, employ flipping as a strategy or do you have different strategies that you work with? How do you... Yeah, things kind of changed after 2017 because I started uh, build, uh, working on larger and larger developments. And there were complications along the way as well, which I won't go into because they're just too boring. <laughs> but um, we, what I found is that my strategy had to change because we weren't able to sell for the price that we needed to. So there are, there are a few that I've had to hold. Uh, currently, I've got, I just counted 160. Six, I think 106 properties for sale at the moment and some of those will not sell quickly so we will need to hold on to those and, and rent them out uh, but what I'm what I am interested in now is I feel like I I probably started too quickly and I started at a time when it was easy to start quickly yes. and it was in 2009-10 you could make more money on an unrenovated property than on a renovated one that's how crazy the market was in Hackney I don't think we're ever going to experience that level of growth again so for me now I I did the whole want to do this quickly thing and now I'm focused very much on the long-term slow growth so for me to be able to go and help out a developer who perhaps has a development of say 10 flats and can't sell three of them or wants to sell three or four of them in order to uh, pay back the the banks or take the pressure off the banks that's more of what i'm looking for i'm looking for maybe a five percent yield plus a, a long-term nine ten percent yield that uh, capital growth sorry over a five-year period very much a, a slower and arguably more passive um more passive strategy i'm not interested in developing anymore that that is a headache, <laughs> it's a headache. i know what you mean but i think it, it has to do with your path and your property life cycle in a sense at the beginning you're at that growth stage so you're building and you're doing the refurbishments and you're doing sort of the larger projects and the developments and that makes sense but I guess you get to a point where you're like, you know what, I'm okay. I can just earn off of the, you know, just have the sort of passive um, portfolio that's just, you know, keeping my lifestyle. Because ultimately it's about your lifestyle, isn't it? You're trying to, Absolutely. you know, live a good life and take care of your kids, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Enough to take you back. Did you ever go through this? Because I always say in development, especially when you're doing, when you're running flips as your strategy, did you ever run through th this, fundamental issue that occurs where you're in a project and so you're kind of tight and then you come out of the project you have lots of money you're free and then, and then you're back into another project and then did you ever go through that process and oh, how absolutely. did you <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely that always happens and i think what happens with property people as well is that we get too eager to get our next project and sometimes there's overlap as well so we're really in deep with one project and we, we get another project and we're in deep and then there might be delays on project a which means that we're in really deep with two and unfortunately that's exactly what happened and yeah it was a lesson and uh, we're still I, I feel like the pressure's coming off now after a good three years of being very in deep uh, and that's probably why I've, I've definitely changed my strategy and as you say it, it is about the where you are in your life cycle and I'm 41 now and my children are at a really fun age they're 12 
nearly 11 and nine. And I really want to spend a lot of time with them. And I want to take all summer off and go sailing with my partner. And uh, just the, the focus now is not so much on building the career and building uh, a personal brand. My focus is very much on slowing down and taking a, a slower approach to life, which, um, yeah, is, is a luxury, I will say. It's not something that everyone's able to do. But for me in my stage of life now, I'm, I guess I've done with that career progression thing, even if it is within my own property portfolio. Okay, that's really good. And then the other thing I wanted to know, so going back to that first story that I've deviated us completely away from. So you were in the project, you decided, um, you found this property through Foxton's, mm -hmm. you started the development. How did you sort of, how did that go? How did you progress with that? Yeah, it went really well. I think in the end, we we're about £20,000 over budget. And we were, to we're talking about a property that I bought for 1.1, uh, spent around 230000 on. And then I think I went around uh, £20,000, £30,000 over budget. So I ended up spending about two fifty, and then sold for £1.8 So it was quite a profitable one. But as I said, it was a, I think I, I sold that in 2012. And so it was a time when anyone could make money on property yeah, because no, it was. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think most people in property have had it pretty easy for the past 10, you know, or so years, right? So yeah, now exactly. in, how have you coped with this? Like, how has it impacted your business? Because. Yeah, it's been, it has been tough. There have been some very, very tough moments because, uh, the banks start getting nervous when the market's nervous. Uh, investors start start getting nervous, obviously too. So it's it has. I've not bought a property since two thousand and seventeen because I've wanted to completely consolidate what we have. We've got nine different projects uh, on the go still. Oh, oh wow! Yeah, some oh, of those are finished and going through sales process. Some of those are. Um, uh, still in construction some one of them hasn't even broken ground yet so they're all at various stages but it was uh, yeah how I've reacted to that is by not buying anymore by consolidating what I've got and also stepping back and looking more holistically at my life and thinking about what I want which is where I've come to those conclusions about what's important and and where I want to go longer term so yeah, I think if I were to if I, if I were to give advice to other people that are perhaps in the situation that I was in, I would say just breathe, step back and breathe and have a look at where do you want to be in three years time and what sort of business do you want to grow? Because I think this is probably a bit of a deviation, but I think the number one problem that property developers, property investors have is that they don't have a business. What they have is a collection of assets and themselves. You take them out of it and there's no business there. And all the whole value of their business is the net asset value of the assets that they hold. Nothing more. And if you, that's fine if you're just wanting to buy a few investments and hold them and sell them on. But if you're putting all this time and effort into building a business, you need to make sure you're building a business. And uh, that's something that I've been working with um, a consulting company and I'm working with a number of property developers who want to actually build a business rather than just a collection of assets. And that's been a really interesting uh, approach. 
but it's not one for everyone. Some people are happy with just building, uh, just developing, accumulating a portfolio and that's fine. But if you do want to have a business, make sure you put the effort into uh, having a business. <laughs> so that's the direction you're going in now. It seems more like business consultant in a sense, isn't it? Yeah, that's one of the things that I'm doing. Uh, so for me, I, I, it was about last summer, I had a look and thought, okay, what, what do I want to do long term? Do I want to, um, sorry, my daughter, please go away. <laughs> I'm podcasting. Um, so what do I want to do longer term? Do I want to keep going down this development? I thought, absolutely not. That's, it's not making me happy anymore. What I would like to do is have a bit more, uh, time and and space and so i looked at what i can do well obviously i've got this 10 years of experience in property now and people would uh be people would want to hear my view and would want me to help them out so that's when i was approached by this company uh it's a large FTSE 100 company to assist with their clients who have property and and do some consulting on their behalf so uh that's that's what one of the things i'm doing the other thing is just uh, working with a couple of investors to purchase uh, completed stock from developers who are perhaps in trouble. And apart from that, I'm sailing. <laughs> so that really is, it's just the, the three things, just doing some consulting. And I have got some other investments too that are not in property or uh, might be slightly related. So I sit on the board of those companies as well. In a sense, yeah. yeah. So you started off with sort of the one million pound type of project. Well, you've now scaled into the sort of at least multi-million, hundred million type of projects that you're now, I guess, evolving away from. What's your advice to somebody who is in the business, you know, either, you know, trying to collect assets or trying to build a business? How do they make that jump? What would your advice be for somebody who wants to make that leap? I guess scale up. It's very hard to do on your own. And yeah. you do need to find a partner if you want to do that. Now, having a partner comes with its own issues. It's, if you think uh, roughly 50% of marriages end in divorce, business relationships are no different. And yet, and you don't have that love between you as well. And often you don't have children between you. <laughs> so uh, if you think about that, the, the statistics for business failure, and I'd love to find them. I need to look them up are quite high when it comes to partnerships. However, that's not to say that they can't work and they can't work for a certain amount of time. It's the same with a marriage. If you have a 10-year marriage and produce two, three children, is that a failure of a marriage? No, it's a success, but just a different definition. So the same with a partnership. If you're both able to build a business and build assets together and it lasts five years, then that's great. You, I don't think you should go into a partnership expecting it to last forever. What I think you should do is say, right, let's partner up for the next two years, see where we get. And at the end of that two year period, reassess the relationship and see if we wish to take it forward. So my advice would be to do exactly that. Find a person who you have complementary skills. Perhaps someone's on the tools, you're not on the tools. Someone's an architect, someone's an interior designer, someone's an agent, someone has money, someone doesn't. Whatever it might be, try and find someone that you can partner with have very very clear expectations and division of responsibilities have a very well written shareholders agreement and agreement of the various uh, of your understanding of that relationship and then move forward but make sure that you have set periods or review periods whether that be annually and have it written into your contract have this review period so at the end of each period there's a mechanism 
under which either party can exit without any repercussions. And I think that would make so many partnerships just work so much uh, more smoothly if they had these sorts of uh, agreements in place. So that's what I would recommend just to partner with someone but go into that partnership with your eyes completely wide open yeah it's important and um so we've been talking business talking property but just to get a bit more insight into you what would you say is your biggest motivation like you know like what makes you tick what makes you wake up in the morning like this is life what what is it that makes you want to do that uh, my children, and that's become even more apparent, as I said, they're at a really fun age right now. And I I absolutely love spending time with my children. And uh, so many people, they see their little babies and they go, oh, they're growing up too quickly. I actually can't wait. I love it now that I've got a cheeky 12-year-old who steals my glass of wine and uh, tries to have political debates with me. So I'm enjoying that. And, and all of my children just have such different qualities. So yes, for them. And and also, I, I'm really looking forward to, in the future, just being off on the boat with my partner and just lifting anchor and saying, right, where do we want to go? Let's, go? let's go to the South Pacific and let's go exploring some islands and just really taking on that, that whole experience that, um, that comes along with sailing, the community, the, the exploring, the assistance that you can provide if you're in these areas where they are, there is extreme poverty and you're able to, to do what you can, give what you can. And yeah, to me, that's just a really, uh, that's what I'm really looking forward to. And in the meantime, it's about building up that, uh, the pot of, of wealth that allows you to do that and to live that very simple, but very flexible life with the people who mean the most. That's good. And then in life, Jenna, what's your biggest challenge? Like what has been your biggest challenge that you've had to overcome? Saying no, mm -hmm. uh, especially up to a year ago when I was very active on social media and just and speaking at various, uh, various events and things. And I was constantly being, bombarded with opportunities and uh, get asked to do things and I found it very very difficult to say no and I'd get excited over the new thing and and I love new things um, it's uh, they're exciting and then when you get to the nitty-gritty that's when I lose interest so for me just <laughs> <laughs> saying saying no to things and realizing that I can only concentrate on three things at once without compromising my my key purpose and my key mission and, and what makes me happy and just realizing when things don't make me happy and cutting them loose <laughs> yeah very good and then as we were getting towards the end i wanted to know while you were sort of in the trenches like hustling with the kid with with the business you know i imagine your kids were young so they were maybe four five six years old how did you sort of balance the two how did you cope because that is a struggle i have two who are four and two and <laughs> I tell yeah, you, yeah, they're difficult. That's yeah. very, very difficult age. And uh, yeah, so I, how you can even do anything right now is amazing. But um, I would take my my baby to work with me on site. I always had my my little daughter in a carrier. So here I would be on site with my work boots on, jumping between Joyce and the guys, just going, "Oh my goodness, please be careful." So I did a lot of that. 
oh, I could even breastfeed while she was in the carrier. <laughs> and the guys had no idea. I just put my coat around and she'd be feeding and I'd just be wondering, I'd go, yeah, this is this. And, and so no one even knew. I used to call it in-flight refueling. So that was fine. And I did a lot of that. And I found that when you've got babies, especially, you've got, you do have downtime, they nap which is fantastic. And so you can get a lot done while they're napping. And they also, you put them to bed at 7.30 and they stay in bed. Unlike mine now, where I put them to bed at nine and have to <laughs> tell them, switch off your electronics or I'll switch off the Wi-Fi at 10.30. Uh, so it, yeah, look, it was hard, but there, it's about working out what matters and what doesn't. And so for me, I didn't ever want to miss an event. So I always, I always went to every single sports day, parent, teacher, whatever it was. And I made sure that at least uh, four nights a week, I was there to kiss them goodnight. But I did have excellent help. I had Anna who's worked with me for 10 years or more. And she always helped out with the kids. And uh, she was incredible. She ran my house for me as well. She would do all the grocery shopping, cook some of the meals look after the children and my goodness we miss her so much so um yeah it, it was just about having really really good help and prioritizing what was really important now did I have to be there every meal time no I didn't but I did have to be there as often as I could for bedtime so that to me was important so you still had a busy life but you you know that's the good thing about when you're running your own business is that you can you know schedule your day in a way that you can spend time with them if you need to and at least try and make the big you know the big events and all the things that you want to be part of them as they're growing as they're growing up so it's good that you were yeah. able to, to do that with some help as well yes so, with help yeah in terms of assessing properties right did you have like what i call a gold mine area where somewhere that you just found that really works for you and how did you assess that area to be that area yeah for me it was hackney and it was because i lived in hackney and uh and i lived on the border of islington and hackney and i knew it i knew every street i knew every house i would just walk the area I, when i had the babies or the, when they were young you know what kids are like they sleep in a buggy so or they and often they're really happy whereas at home you've got to entertain them in the buggy you can just push them around so i had a double buggy plus a a child carrier so I just have all three of them in there and just walk and just walked and got to know all the streets I'd anything that was a bit run down I would look at um, try to find who owned it see if I could contact them it never worked I ended up always buying through agents but yeah for me it was about the numbers and if I could as I said before if I could buy something for a million spend half a million all in and then sell for two it worked and that was insightful that was a good insight you had the fact that you knew that and i guess you had the the luxury in a sense to be able to make that jump because when i got in i kind of got in in that sort of 300 200 i kind of kept it in fact i, I try to keep it a lot uh, under the stamp duty threshold and there's mm. a lot of competition but the only good thing was because the market was in that sort of steep incline it didn't matter to be honest whatever price no. you put it at <laughs> you are going to make some money, right? So I personally found flipping a difficult strategy. So I, I think in, in the way you did it made sense in that you took it to that next level. And so that the margins were much higher because yeah. in my case, you know, making 500,000 from a 300,000 property, it's not, it's not going to happen. No. Is it? But well done. So it's good that you were able to kind of pick up on that and still get access to the funds. So, you know, we've been locked on lockdown with the kids and really been like a, a lot, you know, good times, difficult times. What have you learned from your kids during this entire period? 
that you can apply to your business. That's just like a light bulb, like, oh, wow. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, probably not applying to business, but my 10-year-old son said something really profound uh, the other day, and I don't know where he got it from, but it just really stuck out to me. And, he, and I was really upset about something that had just happened. And he gave me a big hug and he's not very eloquent, my middle one, my, old, my older and younger ones are. So the fact that he said this is really quite powerful, but he gave me a hug and he looked at me and looked at me straight in the face, really close and said, mummy, when these things knock you down, you just come back stronger. <laughs> and I just thought, oh, it's so lovely. How did you get so wise? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you think about it, you think about when you have a cut and the scar develops, that skin's then stronger than the skin was before. So yes, we do come back stronger. And uh, so that's something that I've learned from my kids um, recently. Ah, uh, mentors. Did you ever have mentors throughout your journey? Oh, yeah, uh, lots of them. So I think that... Um, First of all, uh, Daniel Priestley, who does the DENT program, he's been a great mentor uh, over the years and also he's become a friend. So that's, he's great. Uh, and his book, uh, Oversubscribe, is really, really good. So yeah, he's one. Uh, who else? I would say uh, I'm doing some coaching at the moment with Nikki Trott and she is fantastic. She has been really, really good. I'm just, just about to do my sixth and final session with her. And I've just found her invaluable. So she's really great. I'm, I'm always skeptical about coaches, but I thought I'm going to give her a try. And she's blown me away with how good she is. So yeah, she's more of a coach though, uh, rather than a mentor. And then I, I, my partner, Paul is really wise. <laughs> and I love running things past him and getting his view on things because he he comes at things from a different, a different approach to I do. I'm very take on everything, do everything hundred mile an hour. And he's just, Whoa, bring it down. <laughs> Is that what you really want? And sometimes I get frustrated with him and go, yes, of course, that's what I really want. How do you know you're not me? And then he's always right. Annoyingly. And I have to then go oh, back and say, yeah, you I were right. <laughs> Yeah. My husband is exactly like him. It's like, I'm very much the, oh, let's go do it. And it's like, yeah, let's slow down. Let's look at the number. Yeah. And very we slow. need that. Yeah, we do. A yin to our yang. <laughs> it's good. It's good. And it's funny you mentioned Daniel because Daniel is the one that got me down this entire path that has occurred in my oh, life. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. January, I discovered him through a book called um, 24 Assets. Yes. In January 2019. And when I read that book, it was like a mind, like, it was just like, yeah, of course, this makes a hundred percent sense. Like, to what you were talking about, you know, because I had books at more time. He was like, if you don't have a digital strategy along with your business. Yeah, you don't have a business. Exactly. <laughs> I really credit him for quite a lot of the ideas that I have and the direction in which my business has gone. So, mm. yeah, so he's doing good work for sure. Yeah, no, excellent. That's really good. He's supposed to be coming out on the boat with me, him and his wife, this uh, this season, if we ever get out. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's really good. So, well, it's really nice having you on, getting to know your story, and just really finding out about how your journey has progressed and where you're planning to take things. Because it's quite important, isn't it? That, you know, a lot of times you think somebody's life is about property and that's where they're always going to be. And I, I imagine you will still 
always have your assets or whatever it is, but you want to build something more, isn't it? You want to have that yeah. big legacy. And that is my last question. What is that your big legacy dream thing you want to achieve? Yeah, I think it's an adventure. I want to give those close to me an adventure and to have them explore the world with me and realize that it's not all about money and it's it is about just having a really simple minimalist life that um is about experience because you can't buy experience yeah so having experiences i guess those experiences are what will live with you it's not the money the relationships are good as well but the experiences yeah so thank you so much uh for for the time thank you for sharing and we look forward to seeing more and more of your successes thank you very much dolly you too Well, I must say I totally enjoyed speaking with and learning from Nicole. Um, I love her humility and the fact that she just exudes um, a certain level of calm whilst, you know, achieving all these things. And the fact that she's also identified very much where she is in her property journey and what she wants to achieve going forward and what she wants to spend her time doing. Isn't that the goal that we all evolve from, you know, either the rat race or, you know, chasing these sort of shiny pennies and just find that calm where you really want to take your um, life towards. So all in that vein, we are running a property mom challenge. It's in collaboration with Danielle and we are calling this challenge the boss mom property challenge and basically we are looking to work with other women and moms who may already have a busy frenetic you know life managing their personal work and home lives and things can get very overwhelming and if you have decided that property is the way forward it can be quite challenging there's so many different aspects and really this challenge is to help to narrow down your focus really pick those strategies that actually work for you and we'll be talking from our personal examples as well but the whole goal is to get you to narrow down and figure out what it is exactly you should be doing what strategies you should be employing where you are in your life right now and where you want to get to so the challenge is to help you to take time out and just spend time to think but this challenge will give you the tools you need to really take time and effectively strategize your life. And this is why we say it's really about creating your dream life. So if you do want to join in, just check it out at the boss at bossmomproperty.co.uk. That's bossmomproperty.co.uk. It's on from the 29th. That's Tuesday, the 29th of September and will be for three days. It's going to be our sessions in the evening, but we'll be posting challenges for you to do so that we discuss them in the evenings as well. So definitely a fun, engaging time. Um, If you've listened to me, you know that I am very passionate about property. But if you've listened to Danielle, you know she is completely crazy and she's so much fun. So it's going to be great, a great three days. So definitely check it out and sign up. And... Wishing you all the best, stay safe, and on to the next episode, all the best. And wishing you all the best, so stay safe, build assets, and let's make an impact.